1: Momentum is a critical part of building success, and that's been tough to come by for men's basketball in recent weeks, as big wins have often been followed by disappointing losses. On the flip side, gymnastics is flying high right now and gaining steam coming off their razor-thin win over number one Oklahoma. On today's show, we'll sift through news and analysis on men's basketball, football, gymnastics, baseball, and more with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. Also, Gator Vision's Shelby Grenath chats with head coach Jenny Rowan about her red-hot gymnastic squad. But first, with Mike White's team about to begin the back half of their SEC slate, they find themselves two games back of Auburn in the league standings and struggling to maintain consistency. As we started our roundtable with Kristen Scott, Chris said that the players are also keenly aware of the need to decide exactly who and what they want to be.
2: I think Igor Kolachov uh, put it best after the South Carolina game. He says we don't we don't want to be a roller coaster team. Then they go out and they kill Baylor by 21 points. They turn around and lay a an egg at Georgia. So uh, uh, they don't want to be a roller coaster team. But I think that's a pretty good way to describe the way they played so far. Now um, I'm adamant to the fact that. You look at uh, what I wrote going into that the game against Georgia. I mean, the the, the mismatch uh, in the front court was profound. I mean, that was something that the Gators knew going into that game, Adam, that they were going to be at a significant disadvantage when it came to the front court and size. And Mike White talked. He goes, "We he can't get off out offensive rebounded against this team. It's going to be an effort high effort game, just like the South Carolina game a week earlier." And um, they're going to have to find a way to somehow combat those disadvantages as they come about, and there will be more of them as Florida, you know, advances through the SEC schedule. Um, these last uh, nine Southeastern Conference games, they're going to be at a disadvantage. I mean, Kavarius Hayes is going to be uh, out physical at times. Keystone is, uh, you know, he's he's got a base and stuff to play in the post, but he's mostly a stretch four, and. They had zero chance to compete in games like that if they can't hit shots. And uh we saw what happened to them. They were hot in the to start the both halves. And then uh they went through a stretch that just probably would seem unfathomable for this team given its propensity for scoring and making three pointers. They missed twenty or twenty one shots at one time. And I mean it's that's just not a good combination against this uh, you know, for this basketball team. So I'm getting lit up on Twitter of what what they have to do and how they have to be more balanced. That's not an option. They're not going to be more balanced with their scoring in the front court. It's just not going to happen. They have to make shots. They have to defend better. They have to play harder. They have to be tougher. Um, some of these things may not be able to happen. I don't know. Twenty two games into a season, how much tougher a team can get? You are what you are at some point. Um, so they got to play to their strengths. They they can't go through uh, 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 dry spells uh, like that one. You got to win at home. I mean, they, they lost a game last week in South Carolina. You know, they needed to defend home court. So the chance for that starts. They get the next two games are at home. They got they got to win them both and build on some momentum as they head into the home stretch of the conference season.
1: You know, it's interesting at the moment, Chris. That a lot of the conversation is now people panicking and wondering, well, what does Florida need to do to make the tournament? And yet, if you go back to November and you go back to Portland, which seems to be that's the uh, that's the, the the Waterloo of sorts for this team. We were talking about this as a Final Four team. People wanted to fast forward and just get to the tournament because you know, the, Mike White's team looked so, so explosive and so good. This is the same team. It's the same pieces. So as you see more and more from them, can you gather how they've gotten so far from being that team that looked so dominant?
2: Coming out of Portland, you know, they, they looked like a team that could score with anybody. Well, what happened the next game, they got hit in the mouth a little bit and the, the blueprint became that, you get physical with Florida, you know, they may not be so willing or so uh, free flowing with, with how they play offensively. Florida State did it the very next game. Uh, Loyola Chicago took the blueprint of that and learned to run the gators off the three point line and see if they were willing to come into the bat you know, drive to the basket and make things happen and manufacture baskets in a different way. Florida has its flaws when people get physical with them. We'll see what about Alabama this week, uh, Adam. Uh, they they had some big fellas up front, starting with Donta Hall. Who's, <laughs> the guy's hitting uh, 74% of his shots this season. And you can imagine what those shots look like. They're not finesse uh, jump hooks and what have you. Uh, Yonte Maiton, as physical as he is, is a very polished offensive player for Georgia. As Mike White pointed out, he makes 10-foot jump hooks look like layups. They're just a better team in the front court. So here comes Florida, like I said. They got Alabama this week. They got LSU next week at home. Again, got to win those games. Got to play smarter. Got to play tougher. Got to make shots. I mean, you're just not, I mean, I'm still, you go back to the Kentucky game. Florida actually shot better at Georgia than they did at Kentucky, and yet they won at Rupp Arena. But uh, at Rupp Arena, they got a facsimile of some um, toughness in the front court. Got 50-50 balls. They got no 50-50 balls at Georgia. They got out fought and outplayed and out-hustled for extra possessions. And this is a team that just can't afford that um, when it's not shooting the basketball well. It's funny because I I think Jalen Hudson was 0-for-6 in the first half. I think he made three of his first four three-pointers in the second half and still finished 3-for-14 for for the game. So I don't think you're going to see that a lot from him. Uh, They really got nothing out of Kayvon Allen, with the exception of maybe the start of the game and the start of the second half. Uh When Chris Chioza is your leading scorer, um, not necessarily a good thing, though he's certainly a, a, a better offensive player this season than he has before. He gives them an option there. But uh, they need more balance across the board. They need to get guys to drive the ball and maybe start kicking, although driving the basketball, I go back to that. Driving the basketball is not something this team is always willing to do with the exception of a couple guys. Igor Kolachov is a willing driver, but at 6'5", he's going to be met by 6'8", 6'9", guys the result is not always going to
1: be good. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, I guess it was well, almost five years ago now, uh, when everyone was waiting to see when Chris Walker was going to be cleared. And it was almost this sort of, well, Florida had some deficiencies in the front court, and it was, oh, just just wait for Chris Walker, just wait for Chris Walker. And then Chris Walker came in, I, I guess it was early February, uh, and did not have the impact that people expect him to uh, by a long shot. Uh, John Igbunu is much more experienced than Chris Walker. We know that. Do you sense to some degree, Chris, there's a a false hope out there that John Igbunu is going to come back and suddenly cure every ill that this team has in terms of their play in the front court?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's false hope. He hasn't he hasn't practiced yet running around a little bit, but he's not he's not in any kind of contact drills or anything like that. And Mike White has mentioned how he's experienced some pain in the knee, actually also in the off knee, the one he didn't have surgery on. So, you know, he's. He's not going out there if he's if he's in pain. And the Gators aren't going to make him go out there. So these are the pieces they have right now. These are the ones they have to deal with. Even if Johnny Bunu were to magically be able to play uh, in in a week from now or two weeks from now, you know how many minutes are, is he is he going to play? He's not going to play by. He's not going to be out there for 17, 18 minutes a game. It's just not going to happen. So I think people need to quit thinking about we'll wait till the Gators are whole. Cause I think this is their whole right now with what they have to play with. And uh that's, it's the only bullets they have and they got to figure out some things with the team they have. We know they can play really well, look really, really good at times when they're playing their best. They didn't play their best the other night against Georgia. Igor Kolachov said after the game that coach White said, it's up to you guys to figure this out. What do you want to be? Do you want to be this, the team that doesn't respond to physicality? That's, you know, Mike White called this team soft the epitome of soft Scott you were at that game Florida State game yeah uh, they got tougher uh after that a little bit maybe they're taking a step back it's a long season and what have you, and what have you but uh they know what they can be they know what they're capable of and they're at their best when they're playing unselfishly and sharing the basketball and putting forth effort kind of selling out for all things uh when it comes to 50 50 balls and what have you so we didn't see that the other night we have to see it now
1: and just one more note about igbunu before we move on actually did a, a story on duke warner florida's trainer it's going to be on the mike white tv show this week he said that john igbunu's acl injury is one of the most challenging that he has ever dealt with in 24 years as an athletic trainer for the University of Florida, and that's including 14 years with basketball. So it tells you something about the severity of that injury and and why this is such a big challenge uh, for John. Moving on to to football, there's not a lot of news to talk about this week, Scott. Next week, there's going to be a ton of it because we have the second wave of National Signing days. So for now, I know you're working on a story that people can check out on FloridaGators.com about some of the guys that are coming back and maybe the, the changing vibe that Dan Mullen has brought to the program.
3: Hey, you know, I was over at the indoor facility the other day and some of the players were over there doing a uh, a photo shoot, so I caught up with uh, quarterback Felipe Franks and David Reese, a uh, linebacker. You know, both of those guys were uh, team leaders last year, team spokesman. and I was just curious what they uh, thought about how the, I guess, the aura around the program has changed some. And, you know, both guys said it's changed a lot. Uh, there's a lot of details that have changed. Uh some more attention to detail, I think, certainly in the weight room and the off-season program. And anytime you have a, a new coaching staff, you know, come in after the season, the first people that the players really get to know well are the people down in the weight room, and that's Nick Savage and his staff right now. And Obviously, Nick Savage is 28 years old, so he's not a lot older than some of these players, but uh he brings a... Uh, authoritative voice uh, a new energy just uh workouts and philosophies and the players have noticed that and anytime you're the quarterback like felipe franks to talk to him a little bit about just you know getting a fresh start and uh he told me that you know he wasn't really ever serious about mississippi state but he did take a recruiting trip there and that uh, he knew uh, dan mullen and obviously came to florida had a rough season, but he was still talking about, you know, even though Emory Jones is here and there's a lot of people that are, you know, looking for a change, maybe a quarterback. I mean, Felipe's, uh, as he should. I mean, he, he's bearing down. He wants to prove people wrong. He mentions that. So, uh, that's the uh, kind of attitude he's got to have. And, and David Reese is just a veteran leader is excited to, to play for uh, Todd Grantham, a guy who he had some, uh, I guess connection with when Grantham was at Louisville. Uh, up there on the recruiting trail so he knows him a little bit and about the uh, just the aggressive nature that he likes to play defensively so so both players you know obviously pretty excited about some of the changes and and really just a fresh start for the entire team.
1: What are the expectations for National Sign Day in terms of how many players Florida is going to sign relative to what they did in, in the early period back in December?
3: Yeah I mean one thing I think we've learned Adam with this new signing period that As this thing moves forward, the new national signing day is now going to be in December. Uh, That's when most of the players are going to be signed, the big ones at least. They still have some good players, some potential difference makers once they get on campus and prove themselves. Uh, But right now, I think the Gators are looking at maybe nine to ten more players to fill out this uh, first class for Mullen. You know, there's still some some bigger names are in the running. end. there's still some names that you heard at Mississippi State that also now maybe some interest in Florida. I uh, don't know exactly how it's going to shake out. I'm sure there's going to be a probably a transfer a junior college kid or two maybe still to come in. Uh, so it's it's evolving, but I think in the end, once all the uh, national letter of intents are signed, or once the lights go out. Of them, on what, you know, is still called National Signing Day as of now. I think they'll add about 10 more, but that's just to go along with uh, what more than a dozen they got in December. And I think, uh, again, once we move forward, I think in probably in future years, you'll, you'll see 18, 20 guys sign in December, and maybe the number in February continue to go down. We're going to get more on gymnastics coming up here in
1: a little bit. We'll hear from Jenny Rowland. Um, but Scott, just a, a quick note from you on this gymnastics team who's now sold out Exact Tech Arena back-to-back times, just knocked off the number one team in the country in Oklahoma. Uh, Really a lot of buzz right now for the the gymnastics team and have created an electric atmosphere there when they're at home.
3: Yeah, they really have. I mean, back-to-back sellouts, this is a program that has always drawn well, but you don't expect back-to-back sellouts. I think, obviously, they promoted this team well, the marketing department and getting people in the stands. I think also people realize after a couple of years of Florida being a really good program, but maybe not quite the national championship talent that they had when they won three straight from 2013 through 15, I think people look at this program, this team is a little different. I think this team is from top to bottom, very deep, uh, much more than the last couple of teams. I think every bit capable of winning a national championship. Anytime you have Alex McMurtry on your team and uh, she's Performing at the level she is, I mean, two tens against Oklahoma, the number one ranked team in the country, just a really a huge win for Florida. I mean, it was an electric atmosphere in there, Adam, because I mean, the, the meat came down to the slimmest margin that was possible. Florida got it. You could tell how much it meant to the the athletes, just the way their reaction was, and uh, it was funny because uh, Alex McMurtry, she evidently is good at math too. How about that? She kind of figured out in her head beforehand that the Gators had won before it was official and was going around and telling her teammates and they weren't quite sure if she knew what she was talking about, but she ended up being exactly right they they won by the swim with some margins and uh, again uh, Jenny Roland in her third year, I think this is her best team or deepest team and you know Oklahoma and LSU their last two home matches. big reason why they sold those out because you know what when the Super Six comes around later this uh, spring, uh, those three programs are probably going to be among the uh, the participants back out in St. Louis uh, with Florida, you know, obviously looking to win its first title uh, since uh, 2015. And in terms of Gator teams that are always competing for national
1: championships, baseball and softball immediately come to top of mind. They are both getting started here over the next couple weeks. And not surprisingly, softball number two preseason baseball the reigning national champions. They're the preseason number one, almost across the board. And I know you had a story about this on the website too, Scott, about Kevin O'Sullivan and sort of his approach. Because for a program that was trying to find that elusive title for so long, they finally found it. And now what do they do as a follow-up act?
3: Well, obviously uh, it looks like Kevin O'Sullivan learned a little something from Billy Donovan during their time together here. Because you remember back when the Gators won their first title under uh, Billy D. The big part of the message that next year is they're not repeating. This is a new team. Uh, You want to make your own mark. And uh, that's kind of what Sully's telling these guys. You know, a lot of the guys are back, but this is a whole new team, a whole new season. Nothing that they did last year is going to make a difference this year. And They're going to open the season as the national championship favorite. Uh, They're number one in most of the polls, and they certainly have the talent to uh repeat but his uh message is hey we have to uh go out and do it ourselves uh nothing that we did last year is going to matter and you hear that a lot it's a it's a wise one it's something just to kind of get the players to move move on into the future uh but again he likes this group i mean anytime you have brady singer jackson coart and tyler dyson the, that staff is pretty unreal you know it makes you think of what he's really done with pitching here i the top 100 major league baseball prospects came out the other day and three of them were Gator pitchers on the staff two years ago and Alex Fado, AJ Puck and Dane Dunning. And in two more years, it won't be surprising at all to see the three names that we just mentioned among the top 100 uh, prospects in the big league. So he's got a good thing going. It's Bill around pitching and, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, they certainly, like I said, they have the talent to get back to Omaha and win it again, but you got to earn it.
1: Yeah, going back to basketball a little bit here, a former Gator that's in the news, maybe one of the most popular Gators of all time is Joe Kim Noah. And he has uh, fallen on some tough times in the NBA, and yeah, he's been in the league a long time. So this is bound to happen at this late stage. But kind of at that point now where you're not sure where he's going to go, because he seems to have worn out his welcome in New York, and yet he still has $40 million roughly they have to pay him. So, you know, what's the latest with Joe Kim Noah? Where do we think he goes from here?
3: Well... He's obviously not going out to dinner with Jeff Hornacek. That's my, that's the latest guess I have. If you looked at the reports from New York this week, uh, him and Hornacek are not getting along. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of speculation about where he's going to end up. And, you know, you, you kind of forget, Chris, these guys have been in the league for 11 years mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. Anytime you carve out an 11 year NBA career like him and Horford and Corey Brewer have, I mean, they've, they've accomplished a lot, but, uh, I think at this point in Joe Kim Noah's career, I mean, if you're him, you're 32 years old, played at a high level over the course of your career, but you still haven't won a title or played in the finals. So it'll be interesting to see if someone uh, thinks he has enough gas uh, left in the tank to uh, come to a contender, and you got to believe that's what he would want. You want to think maybe that Tom Thibodeau, who
2: you know, he played for in Chicago, would be somebody maybe, but uh, I know that what's the balance of the contract? I think it's thirty-seven million dollars, right? And I and I mm-hmm. I saw somewhere where they were talking about uh, maybe negotiating some kind of buyout for that. I, I guarantee, Joe Kim Noah, that's probably when it comes to the buyout negotiations, he'll probably say something along the lines of, "No, I'm good." Okay, yeah. so he's going to get his money somehow. Uh, where he ends up, I you know, I I have no idea, but it depends on how healthy he is and what have you, but. That's going to be a tough sell for someone to to take on that kind of contract. I got I got to think at the end of the day, if the Knicks want to get rid of them, they're going to have to eat a lot of money.
1: All right, let's wrap today with our PAT. It is Super Bowl week, so yeah, you know, the obvious question everybody is asking is who's going to win. So I'm going to ask you guys that, but let's then take it a step further. I want to know who wins this Super Bowl, and furthermore, what is your favorite Super Bowl, your most memorable one of all time?
0: Hmm.
2: Well, really, really hard to go against uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl. So they're favorites. I know the point spread's been whittled down a little bit, but that's more perception than Las Vegas weighing in on the whole thing. Uh, The whole Nick Foles story, I think, is is pretty fascinating. (laughs) You see some of the things go, oh, Nick Foles wins the Super Bowl. uh, What does that mean for Carson Wentz? Well, probably nothing. Carson Wentz is probably the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles for the Foreseeable future, but it certainly would be a kind of cool thing for Nick Fultz and probably put him in a position to to land somewhere in a pretty um, advantageous situation. But I'm going to go with Tom Brady. I, I it's funny. I, I said last year I thought if um, I thought if New England won the Super Bowl last year that Tom Brady would shut it down and ride into the mm-hmm. sunset. But obviously that's changed quite a bit. Tom at 40 and what have you. So uh, they're the favorites for a reason. They win these games. They know how to win them. Uh, we'll see how Philadelphia responds, but. That's been a pretty good story for that city and what have you, regardless of how their uh, fans seem to
3: act. But I'm going with the Patriots. Scott, yourself? We definitely agree on this point. I don't even think it's going to be close. And I really could care less about the winner of this game. But I do not ever, ever, ever go against Tom Brady. I mean, he is the best quarterback of all time. I think he's the – you know, I laugh at this debate about which is who's most important to the Patriots' success, Belichick or Brady. I'm going to go with Brady. I think he's the best. Yeah, I think he's the best NFL player ever, most decorated now. And I'm not even a Patriots fan, but I really respect what he does. And I just, Eagles are a good story. Nick Foles is a good story. Just can't imagine, uh, winning that game. As far as my favorite Super Bowl, that's the first one I remember because the Dallas Cowboys won it in 1977, believe it or not. That's how old I am. Uh, <laughs> Harvey Martin and Randy White, Randy MVPs. That's how I became a, really an NFL fan, a Cowboys fan. And it kind of connects to my second favorite, what 1992 season, the Cowboys finally break through again with Emmitt Smith and Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin, that group beat the bills. So those are probably the two that stand out because the ones that have had the Cowboys in it over the years, are the ones that I've always cared about the most. And unfortunately, uh, I might still be waiting for a while for that to happen again.
2: Well, Scott is a Cowboy fan, and that's nice of everything, but
3: I, I was born in Washington,
2: D.C., and grew up a Redskin fan. I'm partial to all three of the Redskin Super Bowls that they won, of course. And they're the only team, Joe Gibbs, is the only one to ever win three with three different quarterbacks. The first one was, of course, the John Riggins game, which came after they just destroyed, I think, Dallas and the. Uh, NFC Championship game. I think it was a two touchdown win. But John Reagan's one of my favorite players, just a fantastic uh, Hall of Famer, running back. Give me the ball, John. You know, any any guy that'll get drunk in front of a Supreme Court justice and fall asleep under a under a table you know you have to really admire
3: this that is old school
2: scott That's, even you as a fan, even you have to respect that a lot. i love those guys of...
3: sandy babies. you're too tight is what he i wish us. sports still had those kind of characters because sports used to be full of those guys and now there's still those guys but it's it doesn't seem to be wrapped around as much fun and personality it's more about just marketing and money nowadays uh, unfortunately but uh you know, my last thought on the Super Bowl, you know, we're talking about the best Super Bowls ever, our favorite Super Bowls, the Patriots. I will say this of all the Super Bowls in my lifetime that I remember, I can't think of a, a more unlikely one than what the Patriots did last year. I, I actually was uh, kind of forgot that because there's so much going on in this world today. I kind of forgot how that played out until the other day. And I was like, holy cow, that really happened. I mean, that's amazing.
2: Amazing indeed. Uh, but I will say that
3: the next two Redskins Super
2: Bowls, Adam, actually play a little bit into the Super Bowl now because 30 years ago, Doug Williams was the MVP. And what he did for African-American quarterbacks was, you know, just absolutely trailblazing to be the MVP of the Super Bowl and what's transpired over the last 30 years. And their next Super Bowl win came in Minneapolis. And after the 91 season, Mark Griffin was the MVP of that one. And this is the first Super Bowl in Minnesota. So there's some ties. I've been reading some uh, some Washington Post stories and stuff, and they're trying to tie some of that together because those are the glory days. Because uh, since then there hadn't been a whole lot to cheer about for the for the Redskins. But um, I will be watching with interest. I'll be watching. Uh, I'll be watching Justin Timberlake, of course. Amen. And, uh, it's always a fun. I watch the commercials. My wife enjoys watching them with me, so it's always a good Sunday night in the early February. So we're looking forward to it.
1: I'm excited about the spectacle and not having to stress out like I did last year when it was, uh, it was my team that was having an epic meltdown that Scott just brought back to the forefront. So thank you, Scott, for, uh, reminding me of a, of a very painful experience from a year ago. Uh,
3: I didn't want you to get off the hook without us talking about it because I remembered that very well that you made it through that night and you're, uh, you know, you made it through another year now. But yeah, if you, as a kind of a closet Falcons fan over the course of my life, uh, that I was rooting for them, too. But, man, again, that's why I don't even argue with anybody. Like anybody who goes on TV, it's like any kind of debate, who's the greatest quarterback ever, I just immediately turn off the channel. <laughs> <laughs> Calling it for Tom Brady.
1: Discussion over. Uh, and, and this discussion is now over as well. Uh, we encourage everyone to check out. Chris and Scott at FloridaGators.com. Also on Twitter at Gators Scott at Gators Chris. Make sure to check out what Chris has going on with basketball back at home this week. And, of course, Scott's got some football content coming out as well as some exclusive stuff. So we encourage you guys to jump on that. Gentlemen, thank you very much as always. We appreciate it. All
3: right, Thanks, Adam.
2: Thanks, Adam. See you.
1: When you've won three consecutive national titles in recent years, it's tough to achieve new firsts as a program. But prior to this season, Florida Gymnastics had never had a sellout crowd, and now they're two for two in 2018. The most recent of those packed houses saw Florida knock off number one Oklahoma with a season-best score that raised the bar for this year's squad. GatorVision Vision's Shelby Grinath caught up with head coach Jenny Rowland this week and began by asking how significant it was to beat the defending national champions
4: it was huge this past weekend Uh, this team really um, has been working hard in and out of the gym Um, there's been little mini battles everybody has their own issues Um, getting more consistent uh, working on little details Um, but overall to see everything come together uh, at a competition where no competition's supposed to mean more than another, but, um, but it did. They wanted to go out and do, do right by Gator Nation and defend the Dome. And uh, coming out with a win really um, just set this team up for uh, a lot more success for the rest of the season.
0: What are some of the things you saw in that Oklahoma meet that maybe you hadn't seen yet this season? I feel like this, the
4: team bond, the team chemistry, has always been there from the beginning. Uh, I felt like it rose to a new level, uh, this last competition. Uh, just the support that, uh, that, that everybody gave to each team member was outstanding. Um, to see each routine build off of each other was, was a great thing to see. That was something that I hadn't seen yet this year next athlete fed off in a positive way the success of the routine in front of them uh, didn't let it affect them and i felt like everybody they were focusing on themselves which is good when you're in the moment uh, when it's your turn to compete you've got to focus on what you've got to do i feel like uh, everybody did a really good job and in turn you know that's what the team did they focused on on the team and uh really just uh, rose it rose to a new level
0: Knowing what Alex McMurtry is capable of, you see her in the gym every day. Did it even surprise you that she got two 10s in one night? No, it sure didn't. Uh, if she would have stuck her bar dismount, she would have gotten another 10,
4: which uh, the staff would keep laughing. Uh, she's been training floor. We'll probably be debuting floor at Georgia. But we've been we've been laughing and said, you know what? If, if she got a 10 on bars, if she stuck her dismount, we probably would have just thrown her out on floor <laughs> because why not? You had three tens. Let's see if you can get a fourth and who knows, break another record. But, um, of course, we would talk to her about that, see how she felt. <laughs> but, uh, no, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, it's something that she strives day in and day out to do to get better um, and to transfer everything from the gym out onto the competition floor. And those little details that she's been working on really paid off.
0: She really is a, a team player. And, you know, she gets a 10 on beam, but she runs up to Nicole Webb and gives her a huge hug right mm-hmm. before Nicole does an exhibition on beam. So other than talent, what does Alex McMurtry bring to this team? You you said it. I mean, really, I there are not enough adjectives. There's not enough uh, really
4: she has the heart of gold and she always puts the team first uh, when we met uh, the first of this year uh, we were talking about individual goals and her individual goal was to uh, do what's best for the team and to make sure the team's needs are met and she made a path that she was going to make sure that she met with each individual athlete and figure out who they are, what they need from her, and made sure that uh, she was capable of giving them what they need, so it's always a team mentality for her first over herself. Uh, she knows she works hard, uh, she's going to perform well, it's going be, to benefit the team, and uh, her personal accolades are just icing on, on the cake.
0: Mm-hmm. Two home meets so far this season, two sellout crowds. Mm. What can you say about what Gator Nation has brought so far this season? Uh, I just got chills. Um,
4: It's a testament to this team. I truly feel, um, I will say day in and every every day, uh, this team really lights up the stage and is so much fun to watch. And you can tell they love Performing for Gator Nation and for Gator Nation to come um, recognize that and continuously support them. I really, I can't thank them enough. Uh, these athletes work so hard. They love putting on a show for a crowd and very thankful uh, to have such amazing support uh, coming from Gaines, not only Gainesville, but uh, the state of Florida. Um, I've heard people come from outside of Florida just to come uh, watch these gator gymnasts compete and um, it's amazing and, and very very thankful and very grateful to to be in uh, a school that has a
0: support system like that in a sport like this how important is that home crowd that home atmosphere it's a lot uh, it's a lot more
4: important than people think um, you know for a football crowd it's really important, um, to have that noise, um, as far as distraction for the other team, um, just the noise, uh, the energy that our athletes play feed off of it's, it's a high for them. It, it helps them, it helps them perform. They thrive. They thrive uh, on that uh, energy level, and uh, no, we, we work on it. They know how to manage um, some of the freshmen. It takes it takes a little longer uh, than others to figure out how to manage that energy level, but uh, really, in the end, they thrive on it, and um, it's just something. Um, This team, uh, they love to please others, and um, I know uh, they're very happy to be able to give Gator Nation put on such a show for them.
0: Heading to Auburn this week, what has it been like for you the past few years to compete against the school you were at before Florida?
4: I I will say forever. um, Auburn has a very special place in my heart. Um, Love going back uh, on campus. There's still a lot of good friends, uh, made a lot of good memories there and uh, learned, learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about coaching. Uh, so I'm really forever grateful for uh, being a part of Auburn for such a period of time and to be able to bring my own team back there now. Uh, it, it really is, it's exciting. I, in turn, I'm a people pleaser. I, I love to show off and, and make my mentors uh, proud. Um, I, I do my best uh, as to what I've learned Uh, from him, uh, Jeff Grava, the head coach at Auburn and, um, as competitive as we both are, he hates to get beat at Auburn and I hate to get beat, uh, at Florida or on the road and as competitive as we are, you know, that's, that's just part of it. Um, and, uh, I know, uh, his team's gonna come out in full force. Uh, my team will do the same and, um, we'll see what happens in the end, but, uh, Really excited to, to
0: go back and make some more memories. How do you want to see your team build off of the win this last Friday?
4: I'd like to see the performances, um, everything that we, we work together as a team to build off of those routines. I'd love to see that uh, take it on the road. Um, I saw that a little bit in Kentucky and think that we can, we can continuously do a little bit better job. We will be shifting lineups uh, a little bit more again. Uh, we've had some illnesses uh, through the team, but um, we, we have athletes capable of stepping up to the plate as well. So um, I, don't, I don't doubt that they're not going to be able to do their job, um, but really to feed off of uh, each routine and build on the performances and not let uh, anything else uh, get in their way. Just take it one routine at a time, one event at a time, and follow through the entire meet from first
0: uh, routine to last routine. It's another meet that will be on the (coughs) SEC Network. What has that outlet done for the sport of gymnastics? I think it's been such
4: a positive uh, reinforcement of this amazing sport. Um, There's been a negative light shown on on our sport um, in a way, but um, I truly feel that uh, NCAA Gymnastics Shines, shines a golden facade on the sport. Um, it's a time in an athlete's career where they can focus more on a team other than just themselves. So taking that pressure, that load off of themselves, focusing on others brings a lot more joy to yourself. And I, I truly feel that that's why NCAA gymnastics is so popular. Um, I take a lot of pride in my team to embrace that, sense of truly remembering why you started this sport and uh, what made you fall in love with it. it, it it's not something you can fake. Uh, you watch them on TV. They enjoy each other's company. They love what they're doing. They love putting on a performance. They love being a ham. They love dancing around, being silly. I've got silly athletes. I've got serious athletes. I've got, it's a mix. And what it all comes down to, um, Again, I take a lot of pride in not uh, making them into something that they're not, um, and respecting each other for um, their actions. And not everybody, you know, does everything the same way, but it doesn't mean it's right, doesn't mean it's wrong. Work together, you know, appreciate, uh, support each other, and um, I think that's what this team really, really is about. And it shows out on the competition floor. People like people like to watch them, and. Uh, I'm eternally grateful and extremely proud of uh, how this team behaves in and out of the gym and handles themselves and uh,
0: represents Gator Nation. It's your third year here. What's the biggest difference you've maybe seen in yourself the last three seasons? Um, it's definitely,
4: well, it ha- I can't say it's been a learning curve, it was a learning mountain. Um, <laughs> I think more than anything, I realized very quickly that no year you can treat the same. Every year is completely different. I feel like every year coming into it, I'm, I'm new to a certain extent. Um, and it's just a new of, it's important to me, you've got to get to know your athletes. You've got to understand how they tick. You've got to understand how they work together. Um, and I feel like that's how you get to know your team. That's how your team gets to know each other and build off of that momentum in order to
0: uh, get through a a marathon of a season. Now, you also have a lot of experience as a judge. How does that experience help you as a coach? Uh,
4: I feel like it gives me a a little bit of a different eye, a more critical eye. I can help work backwards as far as um, why things happened, okay? Maybe she landed a little differently on this skill, so let's work backwards. You, You did this, 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 and this. So, in turn, those are all deductions that a judge would take. Um, so I think I just, I just see gymnastics sometimes through a different pair of, of glasses a little more, a little more critical at times, but, um, that's, that's not always, a, a bad thing. Um, so I think it's it's refreshing not just for myself but for Adrian and Owen as well. We all work really well together. But uh for me to go over to another event, hey, you know, I, I I see this and when you look at something all the time, sometimes you just start overlooking things. So um it's great to have a fresh perspective and I like to put my judge's hat on every once in a while and, and try to look through those lenses.
0: We'll end on a little bit of a fun note on um, <laughs> Super Bowl predictions for Sunday. Super Bowl predictions uh, for
4: Sunday. Uh, to be perfectly honest, don't even know who <laughs> <said. laughs> uh, I look forward to the commercials. Um, always have, always will. I do know Tom Brady is in the Super Bowl, so Patriots. I know it's in uh, Minnesota, and I know they are playing, actually, the green team, the Jets. I, no shoot, Eagles. Eagles Jets are
0: blue.
4: <laughs> Eagles, the Eagles. Um, so I'm just, I'm just going with Tom Brady. What does the Roland family do for the Super Bowl? Um, I can't say the Roland family. Uh, we're not, we're not big pro football fans. We love college football, uh, but we're not big pro football fans. Uh, we will have the game on. We will um, probably grill and um, look forward to the commercials.
0: (laughs) There you go. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for your time. Good luck this Friday and the rest of the season. Thank you so much. Go Gators.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Watch gymnastics as they compete against Auburn on Friday night at 7 on the SEC Network, and then check out men's basketball as they battle Alabama at a sold-out Exact Tech Arena Saturday at 4 on ESPN. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, including a recap of National Signing Day. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at Exact Tech Arena.